John chapter 6 is where we turn once again this morning in our Bibles as we open up God's Word for a few moments to meditate upon it. If you're visiting with us, we've been studying the Gospel of John, this account that the Apostle wrote of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. It's been a very theological narrative, a very theological account. And this chapter in particular, chapter 6, this marks the fourth week of us studying this chapter. We just can't seem to get out of it because it is a chapter that is rich in theological significance, not to mention the significance of this chapter in charting the trajectory of Jesus' life and the pot that he is stirring through the words that he says. It all started just to remind you of what has recently happened. It all started when Jesus did the impossible, right? He fed thousands of people on a hillside with virtually no food, almost out of nothing, though he did use a boy's lunch. And he did that first to teach those closest to him their need to depend upon him for the impossibility of their mission, right? And that spoke to us as the church here in 2023 and the impossible mission that we have of turning hearts, of being faithful, and our need to be dependent upon the work of the Father drawing men and women unto Himself. But He did this also to show the crowds and the masses that He was the greater Moses. right? And as Moses, they brought it up, Moses brought manna from heaven in the wilderness to feed God's people. Jesus says, I'm not only the greater Moses who brings you bread, but I actually am the bread that came from heaven. And I'm actually the one that you need, the greater bread that you can't live without. Just like he did with the woman at the well. Making the comparison there to the water that she needed and couldn't live without. And so he's reminded these people who have been focused, remember, on their bellies, and on what kind of king they wanted Jesus to be, that it's not about the bread in your bellies, it's about me. I am the one from heaven who has come for your life. And at its most basic level, this metaphor that Jesus has been talking about, that I am the bread from heaven, has been confusing and frustrating for the crowds. And it's been particularly frustrating for the Jews. Remember, John makes that switch where he stops talking about the crowds and he narrows it in on the Jews, this group of people who have opposed him. But now, as I hinted at last week, as we continue in Jesus' speaking here in chapter 6, Jesus is going to up the ante, so to speak. He's going to raise the stakes and he's going to take his language and this metaphor of him being the bread to a whole another level. And that's where we find ourselves this morning. Last week, our focus was on Jesus' answer to the question, why don't people believe? Right? Why don't people believe? And when they do believe, how exactly does that happen? And it reminded us that we serve a big God, that we worship a big God. As Jesus kind of gave us a peek behind the curtain of what happens in us coming to Christ. And we were reminded and taught that to know Jesus, the Father must know you. The Father must draw you to Himself. Admittedly, brothers and sisters, that was a hard saying. And Jesus isn't done yet. So we pick up where we left off last week. 
verse 48, and I'm going to read through the end of the chapter, verse 71. It's a pretty long passage, uh, so listen as I read. If you're able, I invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word, out of honor for His Word. John chapter 6, verses 48 through 71. This is Jesus speaking. He says this, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Well, the Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? And so Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day, for my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father. So whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as He taught at Capernaum. When many of His disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in Himself that His disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where He was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life, but there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray Him. And He said, this is why I told you that no one can come to Me unless it is granted Him by the Father. After this, many of His disciples turned back and no longer walked with Him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered Him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life and we have believed and have come to know that You are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose You, the twelve? And yet one of You is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray Him. Amen. This is the Word of the Lord. Amen. Go ahead and be seated, please. This morning I have just one truth that I'd like to flesh out today. One truth with several subpoints that will accompany it. And the truth is this to know Jesus is to feed on him. To know Jesus is to feed on him. Some of you know this, but I went to a conservative Christian high school. When I was a young man, dress code, shirts tucked in, 
conduct code, no dancing at school functions, and a formal chapel every Wednesday mid-morning. And so local pastors, local youth pastors, a lot would come through our chapel services to to hype our faith and uh, to encourage us as young people seeking to walk with the Lord. Most of them I've forgotten. Pretty much all of them I've forgotten. But there's one that I will always remember. Reverend Malchus. And I remember him not because of the content of his talk, but because of one word that he spoke. See, he got fired up in his sermon. And here in this conservative Christian school chapel, during this talk and describing a person, not one of the animals in the stable in Bethlehem, but a person, he used in dramatic fashion the word ass. Yes, scandalous. Scandalous. Gasps and cries of, did he just say that? reverberated through this high school gym. It was scandalous. It's kind of a funny story. But I'm pretty certain that those of us who have grown up in the church, those who have spent a lot of time in the Scriptures and the Gospel of John even, have heard many times this metaphor that Jesus explores. We've come many times to this table of the Lord where we've heard this kind of language and I think we've become a bit desensitized to the shock value of what Jesus says here. We forget how Jesus' words would have fallen on ancient Jewish ears. Jesus says, I'm the bread. right? And people say, okay, that's confusing. Not quite sure what you mean by that. Because we're thinking about bread in our bellies that we just consumed. But then Jesus says, feed on my flesh and drink my blood. Well, now that, that's just a problem. And the result in our text is that the grumbling of verse 41, we talked about last week, now turns into disputing the arguing of verse 52. You see, this kind of rhetoric that Jesus uses was scandalous. Genesis 9 made it clear that the drinking of animal blood was forbidden. Of course, the same would be true for humans, but who would even think to say that about humans? And yet, as these people digest Jesus' words, literally, they're confused. They're scandalized. And this idea of feeding then becomes the dominant theme in our passage. Jesus says it. You heard it over and over and over again. Verse 54, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood. 55, my flesh is true food. My blood, true drink. Verse 56, whoever feeds on my flesh abides in me. 57, whoever feeds on me. 58, whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. So what is Jesus saying? What does He mean by this? Well, let me start by saying what I don't believe He is saying. I don't believe He's talking about the Lord's Supper. He's not talking about this table. We talked a little bit about this last week. 
when we came to the table of the Lord. You see, some would like to argue that that's what Jesus is pointing to. That's what he's talking about. And of course, the Roman Catholic Church will grab a hold of these verses and they will use them to make their theology of what the Supper is all about. But Jesus won't institute the Lord's Supper for some time. I don't think he's talking about the Lord's Supper. It doesn't fit the context. Now, what Jesus is talking about and why he is using this stark language that he does is because he knows that a Roman cross and a very public death is in his future. He's pointing to the crucifixion. He's pointing to what it will accomplish that manna alone could never give. Life eternal. You see, at a time in these people's lives, the original hearers, when when the Passover is on their minds, when their bellies are full of literal bread that He just fed them, He points them to His sacrifice and His death that will be their life. And yes, His language is extreme. His language is extreme because what is coming is extreme. But to know Jesus, you must feed on Him. And to feed on Him at its very heart is to believe in Him. To come to Him in your mess. To come to Him in your sin. To look to that bloody cross and what it accomplished and Live. The early church father Augustine says simply this, believe and you have eaten. Believe and you have eaten. And we can trace the words that Jesus has used in this discourse. They're all in concert with, with this. Verse 29 and 35 and 47, he says, believe, believe, believe. Verse 35, he says, come. Verse 40, he says, look to the Son. Verse 45, he says, listen and learn from the Son. And, and all of these words come together to give the heart of the metaphor, which is faith. Faith, belief. Not simply knowing about Him, but loving Him and trusting Him. This is what Jesus demands from the world. Salvation is found in no other name, no other method. To know eternal life, you must know Jesus. And to know Jesus, you must feed on Him. And feeding on Him is believing in Him. Now we could stop there. In fact, that's originally what I was going to do as I chopped up the sermon of last week and this week into two. But that'd be way too early to stop now. We've got time, and so we're going to spend a little more time here. There's more, I think, that we can say. I think there's more that we can unpack here in John 6. Because I think the takeaway of what happens here and what's implied in Jesus' words is greater than simply believe. As important as that is. And if you haven't come to that place of belief and acknowledgement in who Jesus is and what He's done for you, then today is the day of salvation. Let me say that clearly. But I'd like to spend the remainder of our time together briefly thinking about three 
more aspects of this feeding. Of what it means to believe on Jesus. What it means to feed on Jesus. And the first one is this. Feeding on Jesus is scandalous. Feeding on Jesus is scandalous. I've used that word a couple times already in this sermon to describe the effects of Jesus' words. It's actually the sermon title for today. The Scandalon. It was a sermon title for last week, but last week got shortened, and so it's now the sermon title for today's message. Jesus is the Scandalon. He is the stone that makes men stumble and the rock that makes them fall. See, Jesus' words here are not exactly seeker-sensitive. They're offensive. But Jesus is not offending for offense's sake. Jesus is speaking the truth because He is the truth. And yes, the language of Jesus was hard to understand, yes, but more than that, it was hard to accept. And so Jesus doesn't qualify his words, he doesn't backpedal from them, he doesn't apologize for them. And the result is not only the arguing of verse 58 and the grumbling of verse 61, but ultimately the result of Jesus' words is verse 66. Let me read it. After this... Many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Now, of course, I don't know, we don't know all the reasons why these specifically walked away. That we already know that Jesus was not the kind of king that they wanted. That they were after something different in Jesus' ministry, something that he didn't come to give them. But obviously this talk of Jesus being the bread, of Jesus saying, feed on me, I'm from heaven, was the straw that broke the camel's back for some. Jesus' words, His message, His demands for the world, the Gospel itself would remain unpopular. You see, far from an isolated incident, this is the reality of Jesus. Jesus is scandalous. Isaiah prophesied about it in Isaiah 8.14. And He will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel. Paul preached it after Jesus left earth. 1 Corinthians 1.23 But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. Peter proclaimed it to a suffering church as he quotes Psalm 118 when he says in 1 Peter 2, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And church, this is how it will be for all of time until Jesus comes again and every knee bows. Why, we ask? Because the message that you are a sinner, the message that you can't save yourself, the message that you can't just live a good life and be okay, the message that you must humbly look to Christ instead of yourself, is just too much for the human heart. 
The message that you must submit to the authority of a Creator conflicts with my desire. The heart of man's desire to be its own God. We're a prideful lot. And we always will be. So church, this is just a reminder that it will always be this way. And that's not. Do not hear from me. This is not an encouragement to offend unnecessarily. The Gospel will do plenty of offending. Don't stop loving. But we need to let the Gospel and the message of the cross be unpopular, be offensive, be ridiculous. Even, to use words that our world loves to use, even close-minded, mean-spirited, and bigoted. Because Jesus is the truth. It is the truth. And we proclaim with Peter, where else can we go? So that's the first thing we can digest a bit about feeding, is that feeding on Jesus is scandalous. But there's another sub-point. Feeding on Jesus is intimate. Feeding on Jesus is intimate. See, turning from the response of those who reject Christ to those who accept Christ, to many of you in this room, to you and me. What I mean by this is two things. First of all, feeding on Christ is personal. right? In other words, you must do it. You alone decide what to put in your mouth. And you reap the benefits or the consequences of those decisions. And so no one can give you their faith. You must, by the grace of the Holy Spirit, grab a hold of Jesus and make Him your own. Feeding on Christ is personal. It's intimate. Which leads to a second aspect of this. Not only is it intensely personal, But it's not distant. It's in you. It's in you. Right? You've heard the phrase, you you are what you eat. The implication meaning you need to be discerning about what you put in your body. And as I said earlier, this is more than knowledge. Jesus can't just simply be in your head. Jesus' language here of eating His flesh and blood brings to mind the the life-giving procedure of a a blood transfusion, right? My, My life is ebbing away. And to survive, I must have someone else's life in my veins. Or I'm going to die. And feeding on Jesus is intimate in that way. I mean, this opens up a whole other subject of, of union with Christ and that theological concept of what it means to be united to Christ. To, to quote one author, he says, to know Christ is to be connected to Him personally, vitally, and organically like branches to a vine. Of course, where did he get that language from? He gets that from a sermon that Jesus will give. A sermon that we'll press deeper into and unpack in John 15 where he switches metaphors from him being the bread to him being the vine. And us the branches and we must be attached to the vine in order for our life to continue. In order for fruit to be born. 
And what I mean by this is that Jesus must be as real to us and as important to us as literal food. Let me quote someone we love, the late Tim Keller, who's now in the presence of Jesus. He says this, speaking in the first person like Jesus, he says, I have to be your meat and drink. I must be preeminent in your life. It's not good enough for me to be your inspiration or your example or your sugar daddy. I must be your nucleus. I must be your center. I must be your motor. I have to be the thing that makes you tick. I have to be the thing that makes you get up in the morning. I have to be the thing that energizes you. I must be your meat and drink. And you hear those words and I think you have to confess with me that Jesus so often is not this in my life. So many other things get me out of bed. So many other things make me motivated to move on. So many other things distract me. And yet this is what Jesus wants from us. The whole story of the Bible is God's pursuit of restoring fellowship, intimate fellowship and friendship with those who He created in His image. Those whom He wants to be united with Him in intimate fellowship and union. And so feeding on Christ is intimate. It's personal. It's in here. And then lastly, feeding on Jesus is continuous. It's continuous. How many of you eat a meal just once a week? How many of you eat a meal just once a day? This past week I had to fast for over 24 hours for a medical procedure. It wasn't fun. It gave me a newfound gratitude for food. And you know, I was thinking the Bible's frequent metaphor for us as the people of God is what? Is sheep. Right? We're sheep. And what do sheep constantly do? What is a defining characteristic of sheep? I mean, they're dumb. They need to be shepherded. They need to be guided. But they're constantly grazing. They're constantly eating. They have food on their minds all the time. In light of all that we've seen and said, I don't think Jesus ever intended to communicate that feeding on Him was a one and done thing. Or even a once a week thing. Here you are for an hour. It's good that you're here. But this is not enough of Christ for the week. It's a great start, but this is not enough of Christ. Now, in fact, if we were to turn to John 15, which we'll get eventually in a few months, he reminds us that apart from him, at vine and branches, apart from him, we can do nothing. Abiding is constantly, daily, minute by minute, second by second, drawing on his strength. 
And how do we do that real practically speaking? Feeding upon and digesting His words. Resting and rejoicing in His promises. In His love. Being aware of His presence in our lives. This is how we abide. This is how we feed. And it's continuous. It's not one and done. It's not once a week. You can't live without Him. Matthew 4.4, Jesus quotes Deuteronomy. And He quotes it to the devil Himself. And He says, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. As I said, it's good that you're here this morning, but it's not enough. There is a feast of goodness and fellowship that awaits you, that awaits me tomorrow morning and Tuesday morning and Tuesday evening as you walk with Christ, as you abide in His love, as you abide in His words. I want to close this morning with a story that Jim Boyce, pastor of 10th Presbyterian in Philadelphia told one time. It's a story of an old Scotsman years ago who wanted to travel to America on one of those ocean liners when air travel wasn't an option. And he wasn't a man of, of means, and so he saved and he saved and he saved to purchase this ticket. Not only that, but, but he figured he needed to pack his, his meals, so he packed his crackers and and jerky and cheese and and whatever else to ration for this long ocean journey across the Atlantic because he couldn't afford any more than simply the ticket. And after days and days of eating below the dining deck, he eventually didn't time it well. Didn't ration well. And so he ran out of food one day before the boat was supposed to dock in New York. And he says, well, no matter, I'll go up to the dining deck and in celebration of the end of my journey, I'll treat myself to one good meal to celebrate. And so he went up to the dining deck only to find out that the meals for the entire journey were included in the price of the ticket. And rather than eating crackers below deck, he could have been dining day after day in the dining hall, on the dining deck. He could have had so much more. And I fear, brothers and sisters, that this is the realization that we will have one day. When we stand before Jesus, may we realize that now. May the Lord, by His Spirit, continue or begin to work that in us now that we might begin feeding and feasting on Him today. Because to know Jesus is to feed on Him. Amen. Let's pray together. Great Father in Heaven, we thank You for these words of our Savior. Father, we confess our own hearts prone to wander, prone to distraction. And yet we want to be partakers of the feast that is offered us in the Son. So forgive us for going to so many other things for our life, for our nourishment, for our pleasure, and realign our desires, our soul's affections 
on your Son. Father, this I pray in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.